So I have been teaching through the Westminster Confession of Faith and have recently arrived at chapter 20, which is titled Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. And we just happen to be in section two, in which we are introduced to the doctrine of liberty of conscience. And since it is my privilege to be able to deliver a message to this assembly, guess what the topic's going to be on? <laughs> title of the sermon is Liberty of Conscience, a doctrine worthy of knowing, defending, and obeying. Now let's start by reading the confessional statement. And by the way, there are, you know, all the doctrines in Scripture are, are valuable, precious. But there are some that are more precious than others. There are some that rise to the top. There are some that are more useful, more transforming of the individual and of a society that adopts these truths as the foundation of that society. And this issue of liberty of conscience is one of those truths. Transformative when a group of people that hold to it create a society around it. Liberty of conscience, according to the confession, is this. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. This is chapter 20, section 2. And has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it, in matters of faith or worship, so that to believe such doctrines, or to obey such commandments of con out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also because it is an irrational position to hold the liberty of conscience and do these things. So first, let's notice the doctrinal statement, the, revelation, the revelational truth upon which actual liberty of conscience is grounded. And that is the statement, God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Put another way, God is the absolute sovereign over our conscience. It is an authority he has not shared with anyone. It is an authority he has not delegated to anyone. Although there have been many throughout history that have claimed he has delegated such authority to dictate to our conscience. Only God can dictate to our, God, our conscience. So let's unpack this first phrase, this theological truth upon which actual liberty of conscience rests. And that's the phrase, God alone is the Lord of the conscience. We'll start by answering the question, what is meant by the conscience and what its primary function is? And then we'll ask, what does it mean for God to be the Lord of that? So the conscience is, as most of you already know, a faculty of the soul along with the other faculties such as will, 
which God has endowed with a natural liberty and our reasoning ability, faculty of the soul, which God has provided so that we can rightly understand his word, both the explicit statements and the deducible statements from Scripture. But another one of the faculties of our soul is our conscience. And Scripture says this about what our conscience does. It smites us. It condemns us. It convicts us. It bears witness against us. It accuses us. And it excuses us. You know, when David cut off a little bit of Saul's skirt, Scripture says his heart smote him. When the uh, woman was caught in adultery, wanting to stone her without trial, as it appeared, Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the result of whatever he wrote in the ground resulted in the statement, convicted by their own conscience. They all departed, starting with the older down to the younger. Paul, in fact, reasons from the conscience that man has an internal sense of God in his morality. He says it's written on their hearts. How do I know? Because their conscience always bears witness to this. It accuses or excuses based on that internal sense of what is right and what is wrong. Paul says in other places in Scripture, they're without excuse because of this internal light of nature they have. I like to make use of Webster's Dictionary, but I don't like to make use of the modern dictionary because for some strange reason it has been captive, taken captive by woke ideology and definitions are changing faster than I can keep up with. So I go back to the old one. And you get an idea of the common understanding of conscience back in the 1800s. This is a definition for conscience. By the word, it's a Latin word that means knowledge. But it's self-knowledge. A judgment of right and wrong. A faculty, power, or principle within us which decides on the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our actions and affections. And instantly, that's the smite part, instantly approves or condemns us. And some writers refer to it as a moral sense and others as an original faculty of our nature. In other words, it's part of the image that we bear. So what are the categories of thought that our conscience is judging us on all the time? Our confession refers to these categories of thought as matters of faith or worship. In fact, if you go to section four, it adds one to that, matters of faith, worship, and conversation. And if you remember, conversation is an old word that actually means your manner of living, your manner of conduct. It's the implication, do you live a moral life? So it's moral standards. So matters of conscience are faith, worship, and moral conduct, your moral law, your moral code. These are matters of the conscience. 
So when we talk about matters of faith, we're talking about those doctrines that God requires us to believe. When we're talking about matters of worship, of course, it's, it's God requiring us to know him, acknowledge him as the only living and true God and our God. This should sound really familiar to you. And then worshiping and glorifying him accordingly. Matters of worship. And what about matters of conduct? The moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. These are all matters of conscience. These are all those beliefs and practices that God binds our conscience to believe and to obey. This leads us to the main point. God binds our conscience in matters of faith, worship, and moral conduct. God dictates through his holy scripture what doctrinal truths we must believe, how we must worship him, and the duties we must perform, and the sins we must avoid. God is saying, if you do not confess this set of doctrines and obey this set of rules, you are morally wrong. You are committing sin and are subject to the condemnation that comes along with violating his holy standards. When the conscience smites you, it's not revealing to you your preference. I like it, I don't like it. It is revealing to you that you're guilty before God because you are not believing and obeying what he requires you to believe and obey. Matters that do not bind the conscience are those issues that we refer to as indifferent to God. And what kind of toothpaste you use, what kind of brand of car you buy, what kind of, whether you put tile on your floor or carpet on your floor, these are indifferent matters. There's no moral component to these things. Matters of conscience are those issues that God obligates you to. This leads us to the part where the conscience smites you and what's the standard that it uses to make the judgments? Whatever the Lord dictates to you. Those are those matters of faith, worship, and God's moral law. So let's get to the liberty. We've just looked at the moral foundation for this liberty. God alone is the Lord of your conscience. What follows from that necessarily? Confession puts it this way and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it in matters of faith or worship. And section 4 adds conversation. Simply put, liberty of conscience means we have a right to be free from our fellow human beings dictating to our conscience attempting to impose their man-made religious doctrines, ethics, and practices. So let's now turn to the right and the duty 
that is attached to liberty of conscience. Again, liberty of conscience is the right to be free from the doctrines and commandments of men. The right of our conscience, so let me remind you, whenever we talk about this issue of a right, we're also talking about you can't. You don't have the right. So if I say I have a right to freedom of conscience, I'm saying something about you, which is you don't have a right. If I say I have a right to my property, what am I saying to you? You don't have a right to my property. I have a right to freedom of conscience, meaning you don't have a right to dictate to my conscience. The only being in the universe that has a right to dictate to my conscience is God in heaven. If I have a God-given right to freedom of conscience, to be free from the doctrines and commandments of men, then no one has the right to require of me implicit faith and absolute blind obedience to their man-made doctrines and practices. And confession puts it, connects these together. Let me read how the confession says this. God alone is the Lord of our conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it in matters of faith or worship. And then at the end, and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Others do not have the right to impose their will upon your conscience, not the church, not the state, not the family and present world that we're in, not the corporation. Those who attempt to do so are usurping the authority of God because God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Even Paul the Apostle says, I mean, of all the human beings on the planet that might claim to have the authority to bind your conscience, it would be Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle says, I have no dominion over your faith. I'm a messenger. It is the message that binds your conscience, not me. And Paul recognized that right of freedom of conscience when Scripture declares the Bereans to be more noble than other Christians because they actually searched scriptures to see if what was being taught by the apostles was true. And what were the Bereans doing? They were making sure that what was being taught was not contrary to the word of God or beside it. That what was coming from the teaching of the apostles was agreeable to and actually founded upon the word of God. And what they were not doing is turning to Paul and saying, well, because you're an authority, we will blindly accept what you're teaching us. We will 
have an, what's referred to as an implicit faith in what you're saying and will blindly obey your commandments. And the idea of an implicit faith is you don't have to prove it from Scripture. You believe it because I claim to have a particular level of authority. I say it, therefore you believe it. I say do it, therefore you do it. And this is anathema to the idea of liberty of conscience because, again, no one, not even the Apostle Paul, has the authority to bind your conscience. It has to be founded in the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that binds the conscience. It is the message and not the messenger. So that right is a right to be free from religious tyrants who use their position of power, again, families, church, state, corporate, who use their position of power to impose their will upon your conscience. Those who claim this right are usurping the authority of God and according to the confessional statement, destroying liberty of conscience and reason itself. It destroys reason itself because it's not rational to believe in God who created your conscience and then make up your own doctrines and practices. That's not rational. It's also not rational to deny the existence of God and then turn around and make up your own ethical belief system and impose it on other people's wills. That's not rational either. Where does your will, we could say to those that do this, where does your will derive the authority to impose itself on my conscience? So in summary, the right of conscience is the right to be free from any authority attempting to dictate to your conscience in matters of faith and practice that are in any way contrary to or in addition to the word of God. Only God has that authority. That's liberty of conscience. But with that liberty comes a profound set of duties, <laughs> responsibilities. And our confession addresses that as well. Your first duty is don't betray liberty of conscience. So that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience. If you adopt any doctrine or practice, if you adopt a substitute ethical belief system, you've betrayed liberty of conscience and you've betrayed your God. There is only one lawgiver, according to James, who is able to save and to loss and to destroy. So remember, the ethical system that binds our conscience is from God. Our conscience is designed to smite us when we violate that ethical system. The religious tyrant is trying to substitute the biblical ethical system with a man-made one. You have betrayed liberty of conscience when you adopt that foreign system 
And now your conscience smites you based upon a new system. Your religious convictions become perverted. It is adhering to an opposing standard. It is one thing to obey a command to maintain peace and not to offend. You know, someone says, I don't want you to drink alcohol around us because we believe it's sin. Our conscience is smitten by that or smites us based on that. Or another one might say, we don't want you to eat pork around us because our conscience bothers us about that. And again, fine. When I'm around you, I'll do what you ask. But what I'm not doing is accepting your standard as a standard that binds my conscience. I'm doing it as not to offend your conscience, as Paul taught when he was dealing with the Jews who had converted and still had a conscience about certain meats. It is a betrayal when these man-made ethics rise to the level of moral conviction within you. Not just a set of opinions, a set of preferences. And we have a great example of this in present-day society in the new woke ideology that has pretty much infected every institution we ever built. So it is one thing to create critical theories about race, gender, sex, and economics. A little nod to Marx there, right? The original critical theorist. Theories that one can adopt or reject based on the merits of their arguments. It is quite another thing to declare everyone who disagrees with these theories to be evil to declare them to be homophobic, transphobic, sexist, racist, and an evil capitalist pig. Back to Marx. If you don't adopt these theories as true, and if you don't obey the ethics that are associated with these theories, not only does this ideology declare us evil, but it declares the doctrines of the Christian faith as evil. Christian doctrines about sex, gender, race, economics are declared by them to be violence and spreading hate. Our beliefs and practices are declared to be oppressive and marginalizing and dehumanizing. All these statements are ethical judgments. And it is their attempt to bind the conscience of the hearer. It is one of the reasons that this thing has taken such root in our culture, because it provides this ethical substitute. And we were designed to be motivated by what? Ethics. They're just the ones that God binds our conscience with. 
And many in our country have allowed these, particularly among the elite and powerful, have allowed these false teachings to bind their conscience. They feel guilt and shame based upon a man-made ethic and a set of man-made traditions. Their conscience has literally been taken captive to the will of man and not the will of God. And what is so absurd about this is this whole system was created in university by a bunch of professors. They're not hiding the fact this is man-made. Where does a product that's a product of another person's will get any authority to bind anybody else on anything? And yet, boy, there's a whole lot of people bowing to it. Those who have adopted this ethical system have betrayed liberty of conscience. And they have betrayed their God. So what's the duty required here? One, protect your conscience. And the conscience of your children. There's an opposing ethical system that would like to take over it. And the only way that you can do that is you have to fill your heart with God's word. And you have to fill your children's heart with God's word. With understanding. And you have to talk about it a lot. Rise in the morning, walk in the day, lie down at night. As your children interact with the world, and they are going to, as you interact, taking the word of God treasured in their hearts and applying it to the situations that God and his providence bring into their lives so that this is a living word in their heart. And they know how to live by it, judge by it. They will be inoculated against this foreign ethical system. Duty number two. And this has to do with your place and station and the responsibility of those who have a calling. Ministers of the gospel. It is our obligation to teach this doctrine, defend this doctrine of liberty of conscience, and then to call it out whenever we see it. You know, somebody tries to impose their ethical standard, you say, where do you get the right to do that? I have the right to my conscience to be bound by the God of the universe. Where do you get the right to bind me with something that's a product of your own mind? Number three, protecting the institutions from the usurpers. Let's we'll start with the state. Again, when a group of people who hold to this idea of the preciousness of liberty of conscience, that God is the only one that can dictate to my conscience, what kind of government are we going to form? We're going to form a government that actually protects the right to liberty of conscience. 
But there will constantly be usurpers trying to take the position of power so they can then impose upon your conscience. So we as a people must always be vigilant, always protective of this precious gift of liberty of conscience. About the church. We got a really good history of the church having a usurper who claimed to himself the right to dictate what you must believe and dictate how you must act. And if you don't, you're sinning. But there are littler usurpers in the church as well. who are not basing their doctrines and practices on careful, exegetical work from the Word of God. And who are convincing people that this is what you must believe and this is how you must act. And in fact, what they're teaching is contrary to the Word of God or beside it. And then the family. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. That means his doctrines and his moral law is what's going to bind my conscience and the conscience of my wife and the conscience of my children. Who is the authority in the household? You're going to say the man. I'm going to say God. It is God that binds the man's conscience and he is to direct those words into the hearts of his wife and his children so they can be bound by these laws and these truths as for me and my household we're going to serve the lord by the way what's the other option it's either god or man right either god's will will rule or man's will Brothers and sisters, let's defend, let's teach, let's defend, and let's obey liberty of conscience. Let's pray.